Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Minority Retort with Jason Lamb. All right, it's Friday morning on X-Ray in the morning. That means it's time for Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which you can see at the Siren Theater. It's an all-people-of-color comedy show. It's hosted by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now-rotating cast of POC comedic characters. But here on this show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other creative, talented, and thoughtful people of color who are doing big things in the community and the world at large. And I'm so pleased to be joined today by my guest, Ibtihaj Mohammed, who was the 2016 bronze medalist for Team USA in saber fencing in the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. And she joined me to talk about her book, Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream. And she will be appearing at Powell's on Friday, May 17th at 7.30 to talk about the book. And it was a pleasure to talk to her today about her bronze medal win, as well as all the many other things that she has accomplished so far in her young life. So the title of your book is Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream. And I wanted to ask you specifically about the subtitle of the book. How unlikely was it for you to accomplish what you have accomplished, and why was it a fight? Well, you know, when you look at the Olympics from a number perspective, it is really difficult to qualify for an Olympic team. I would consider the United States to be the hardest of the teams to qualify for. Um, it's a super competitive space. And growing up, I didn't have the Olympic Games in my sights. It wasn't something that I thought about as a kid. Of course, I enjoyed watching it, but um, it just wasn't on my radar. And to when we think about the sport of fencing and it to be a traditionally white space. Um, And then also you consider not only me being an ethnic minority, but also religious minority as a Muslim woman uh, becoming a U.S. Olympian um, on the fencing team uh, was definitely unlikely for me. How did you discover the sport of fencing in the first place? My parents always put my siblings and I in sports. It was something that was um, really important for them, you know, to have their kids be be active and to, uh, you know, have good relationships with our our friends and our peers and whatnot. But uh, for me, as a kid who at some point would wear hijab, uh, my mom wanted to find a sport for me to play where I wouldn't have this struggle with finding um, finding a uniform that adhered to my religious beliefs. As a Muslim woman, I cover everything with the exception of my face and my hands. And even while playing sports, I wear hijab. And I remember at 12, my mom and I were driving past the local high school at the time. And though I hadn't started high school, uh, we saw fencers for the first time. And my mom noted that the athletes, you know, had on long jackets they, and they had on long white pants. And though at the time we weren't familiar with the sport, my mom knew that that was something that she wanted me to try out because it just uniquely accommodated our religious beliefs as Muslims. And how soon after that would you say that you discovered that you were good at it? 
and develop a passion for the sport? I don't know immediately if it was something that I said I was great at. To me, fencing um, would separate me apart from my peers when it was time for me to apply for college. From the time I was a kid, I always you know, knew that I wanted to go to one of the, the top universities in the world, but as a kid who comes from a relatively large family and one of five kids, I knew I would kind of have to be creative with how I planned or intended to pay for college. So I wanted the sports scholarship. And even though when I started fencing, I don't think I was, you know, exceptional or anything. Um, I always was, you know, the one of the hardest, if not the hardest working kid on the team. And subsequent to the time that you were developing your skill and really becoming excellent at it and becoming a champion uh, prior to the Olympics even, uh, you'd garnered a lot of attention, not due in small part to what you just talked about and uh, the fact that you wear the hijab when you compete. Was there any pressure on you to, once you were going to qualify for the Olympic team and simply because of all the media attention that you had garnered um, and becoming somewhat of a a symbol uh, to people, how did you deal with that pressure if there was any? I I think that there's that the pressure that we as athletes feel to to kind of show up in you know you know your your best form on on game day is something that is not to use unique to me as an athlete. I think that we all kind of have that, that nervousness and anxiety that kind of builds up. And really it's just a matter of how you mentally prepare and on game day, whether or not you allow that, that um, anxiety, you know, to whether or not you allow it to like kind of manifest itself. And I would say that I qualified for the Olympic team at, you know, during a really heightened political moment in our country where Muslims were on the chopping block and continue to be on the chopping block. So to have a Muslim woman to to qualify for the United States Olympic team, and it, I mean, I just feel like naturally it was going to be a story. And I think the reason why uh, mostly is because it kind of challenges these stereotypes misconceptions that we as a global community has been forced feds for so long if you have someone who um who contradicts these storylines of of muslims being all these things um and you have someone who you know is fulfilling a position on the u.s olympic team and is going to represent us right when you when i say us i mean us as americans and be included in the conversation um, among, you know, the world's best athletes, I think it, it forced people to kind of rethink some of those, those misconceptions that, that they've had for, you know, um, in my opinion, a, an uncomfortably long time. And I, I've always thought about my journey through sport as, as, a, as a blessing, not just for me and the Muslim community, but for all of us, because I, I think that it's, it's forced us to reevaluate the way that we we um, we have become accustomed to um, normalizing what it means to other people, you know, and, and to place people in boxes and to create 
um, this type of uh, systemic bigotry that has been unearthed in our nation. Was there ever a moment at all when you considered possibly not representing the USA based upon just what black people historically have gone through um, in this country and the perception of Muslims in this country, as you just mentioned. Um, I guess the question really is, were you always intent on representing America, even though historically America hasn't represented you as a, a black woman and as a Muslim? I am from New Jersey. My family is from New Jersey. I'm African-American. And to ask a person who has no attachment to any other nation, right? This is America. is something that runs, you know, deep through my veins. It's a part of who I am. And I know that, you know, we live and exist in a country that was built on the back, uh, the backs of, of my ancestors, you know, so America feels very much so a part of who I am. So to answer your question, absolutely not. There's never been a time in my life where I felt that this isn't a place where I belong or it's not a place um, as an athlete that I feel like, you know, ashamed of representing. I, I won't give, you know, I won't give into that, you know, bigotry or racism that exists because I think that's the intent, you know, for, to make, to make people feel like this, they don't belong. Right. And I'm here as an athlete, um, who has this, you know, newfound platform to push an agenda of inclusivity and to demand my spot on Team USA. That's something that I've worked really hard for. And I, there are very few people who um, were able to, you know, um, achieve the same feat. You know, his, this is this is a historical, like a historic moment, not just for for us because I am, you know, like the first Muslim woman to do so or the first woman of color to do so for the U.S. for the U.S. fencing team, but also because this is something that I work towards. You know, I this is like blood, sweat, and tears. This is everything. Every single piece of me went into qualifying for this team, and it would never, ever, ever allow anyone to take this moment from me. And as we talked about, you do wear the job when you compete. Did anyone ever try to talk you out of wearing it while you're competing? Wearing hijab? Yeah. No. I mean, I come from a really um, inclusive uh, environment. I was born in Maple, New Jersey, and I grew up with the same kids my whole life. And I would say that I've never been made to feel, you know, that way or um, been made to feel that there was something wrong with me. Or that, you know, there was something wrong with my, my, my faith or the way that I practice my religion or interpret, interpret religion or anything like that. So, um, and I, I would say that I've been really fortunate as a kid to come to the realization that I am, I myself am enough, right? I don't look for validation or approval or appreciation from other people. And one of my, my efforts as um, not just as an athlete, but also as an activist is to try to help other children um, or try to help children or even other people understand that you don't have to seek that from other people. You don't need other people's permission to, to love yourself and to embrace who you are.
And I think it takes a lot of people too long to come to that realization. And I'm so thankful that it was something that I was able to discover from a younger age because having that confidence and giving myself permission to love myself and to be comfortable with who I am is why, you know, I was able to qualify for an Olympic team and why, you know, we're even on this call today. So you're now a couple of years removed from the 2016 Olympics in Rio where you won the bronze for saber fencing for Team USA. Can you describe what that moment was like and how you reflect upon it now? Well, you know, it's crazy how time flies. You know, we are, like you said, three years removed from that moment. And it was, you know, this this really exciting moment for me because I had my family with me in Brazil. And it was an opportunity for me to compete in front of, you know, my like my brother, it's the first time he'd ever seen me fence in an inter- international competition before. Um, I, I had like brother-in-law, sister-in-law, sisters, parents, everyone is there. And also it's an opportunity for me to win, you know, a medal, not, not only with my team, but also with, you know, my team back at home with my family members. And it was just uh, one of those moments that, I don't even think dreams prepare you for, you know, you work hard as an athlete for moments like this, but um, it was something that my team and I had worked towards for, for years. And um, it just felt, you know, like a culmination of, of a lot of hard work and a lot of prayers. And I've seen some clips online of your appearances on Stephen Colbert, where you fence with him. He, he challenged you to a duel essentially. Um, And, uh, another clip where you uh, are fencing against uh, some dude on Ellen's staff uh, when you were on that show. Um, and it struck me that the perception of fencing seems to be that it's it's somewhat of an easy sport to, to pick up, that anyone really can do it. And I wanted to ask you about what your tra- training regimen is like and what you have to do to prepare to compete on the level that you do. I mean, some of what you said is true. I do think that anyone can fence. Fencing's like any other sport, like basketball or tennis. Um, but we all know that not all of us can go out and play in the NBA, or not all of us can go out there and, and uh, fence in the fine, or sorry, uh, play in the finals against Serena Williams in a tennis match. So I think that um, it would be. Um, unrealistic uh, for people to think that, or for us to all think that we can compete in the Olympic games in any sport. But I do think that fencing uh, would be a great sport for people to consider for their kids, I think, or even as adults, I think fencing is such a great workout. And if you enjoy the idea of competing on a tactical level, um, not only on a physical level, but, you know, trying to outsmart your opponents, I think that that's what, has kept me in the sport of fencing for so long because it's not only, you know, a physical game, but it's also, you know, who can outsmart um, the other. And uh, being, you know, two or three steps ahead of your opponent is always this really cool feeling where you just feel kind of on top of the world, no matter what part of the world you're fencing in. And do you have your sights set on the gold in 2020? I will not be competing um, in the next Olympic Games. I have so many other projects I'm working on. I, you know, released Proud uh, in July of last year, along with 
the young readers edition of that book and I'm working on a third book that is slated to come out in September called The Proudest Blue, which will be my first children's book. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. So do you expect to resume Olympic competition at some point? Nope. I do not. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, plan on competing for Team USA in the same capacity anymore. I feel so fulfilled in my moment on Team USA. Um, the Olympic Games is something, again, that you know you can only dream of. And having any opportunity to represent our country at the highest level of sport, I truly feel like is a gift and a blessing. And I feel so thankful to have the opportunity to do so. Uh, not just go and compete and win a medal, but also to be the first Muslim woman to do so. I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, Muslims and non-Muslims alike are able to find inspiration in my story and also to help our kids, you know, realize their own dreams and know that all you need is a dream and some hard work. You know, I tell people all the time that I'm just a girl from Jersey who chose to work hard. I've always been that person who who wants to be the hardest working person in the room. And I'm so thankful that that what I learned through sport um, has really uh, translated in different parts of my life. I also have a clothing company that um, I've had for about five years. I own Luella. Uh, It's a modest fashion uh, clothing company. And we operate out of Los Angeles. And it's just really cool to see how sport can really um, affect you in different ways. And that's why I'm such an advocate uh, for sport and really, you know, helping people realize that the importance of putting, you know, their kids in sport from a really young age, because it teaches you so much about yourself and your peers. Um, and, and most importantly, I think that it sets you on, you know, the right path for what's to come next. Well, once again, your book is called Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream. And the last question I have for you today, and I really appreciate you joining me on the show. Uh, you accomplished so much in your career, as we talked about. You've met the Obamas, and uh, you've had a Barbie designed in your likeness. Which one of the two is uh, a prouder moment for you? Well, I mean, in my mind, uh, uh, President Obama and uh, First Lady Michelle are like aunts and uncles at this point. I think that they're awesome, and I've had the opportunity to, to meet them a few times. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I the Barbie is uh, such a pivotal point in my, in my life and my career as an athlete because I knew or I know what Barbie meant to me growing up. I played with Barbies every day, probably for um, an uncomfortably long time until I was about 14 or 15, and Playing with dolls always allowed me this reprieve in my life, but um, I would say that what's most important is that it allowed me to to dream, and it gave me the opportunity to imagine myself in any space um, where my mind could take me. And one thing I didn't have as a kid was the opportunity to play with a doll that wore hijab, and it was always a struggle to find a doll that was black like me. And in my house, my parents only bought me and my sister's black and brown Barbies. So I, I love that Mattel is, is so focused on the diversity of its dolls and not just in skin color and hair texture, but also even in the size of their dolls. It was really important for me to work with Mattel on developing my Barbie to have, you know, athletic builds because, you know, having 
strong legs is what helped me, you know, win my Olympic medal. And I want kids to, to know that there's so much more to, to themselves and it can be seen in, in what, and what you're able to play with, you know, even when it comes to something like dolls. And I know what, what this doll means to me, and I hope that it means um, even more to to the global community and, and having the opportunity to play with a doll that's not only black and wears hijab, but um, is also a fencer. So I'm, I'm really proud to have this doll on shelves for kids to purchase. Once again, it was a pleasure to talk with our guest today, Ibtihaj Mohammed, the 2016 bronze medalist in saber fencing for Team USA. She once again is going to be appearing at Powell's on May 17th at 7.30, talking about her book, Proud, My Fight for an Unlikely American Dream. And uh, we thank her for joining us on the show today. And we'll be back to wrap up the show in just a moment. 